So I was doing research last night and I found a fun little tidbit. What? There's a place in Ohio called Kemper House. No way. There is. It's an Alzheimer's like home, um, which I find ironic because of how this story ends. But uh, then I started playing some Kemper interviews to do to pull some clips. And this one, I look over his chin to tit five minutes into the interview. <laughs> it's an hour long interview. It doesn't take much. She for me is to be. chin it to tit. It really doesn't. You fell asleep during a podcast episode. I know. Which, which was the one that she did? Uh, Colonial we, Parkway. Yeah. So an old project we did before Creeps in the Crypt, we covered the Colonial Parkway murders, and Christian was famously chin to tit. Uh, she had to turn her it? mic off. Yeah, I had to mute her mic because she was snoring into the mic. So it was we just will, the slightest little... We will never cover the Colonial Parkway murders because of that, apparently. Mm. I love the Colonial Parkway murders. I'm sorry. Well, Christian will have to set out on that episode. I, if if it's time for me to go to sleep, it's time for me to go to sleep. I feel that. If it's time, it's time. I resonate with that. And I was <laughs> I, mean, I was ready for the time. The time is there. Let me put it this way, Sam. Maybe you could do the Colonial Parkway murders on the TikTok. Maybe I could do that. Maybe you could do that. I do. I, yeah. I've done a little little blurb about it before. Yeah. On my personal on, TikTok. Do it on the TikTok. The tickety-tocky. Yeah. Uh, welcome, guys, to Creeps in the Crypt. Hello. I'm Eric, and as always, I'm joined by... Sam. Christian. I'm yawning. You want to retry that, Sam? Yeah. I'm Sam. Do I have to just there you go. clap on it? No, you don't have to clap on that. You can keep it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm we're, sleepy we're, girl. We're not in the middle of a fucking paragraph about Kemper... Cutting a girl's head off and fucking it. And somebody's just yawning into the mic. Yeah. I don't need I don't need any yawning into the mic in about twenty minutes, but you know, we're not yawning. I do love the love that executive uh producer Salem is getting on Instagram and TikTok. He's not here right now. Uh he has other projects that he's working on, like licking his asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he he decided to call out tonight to lick his asshole, but (laughs) I mean, someone's any other time he is present. He is a great executive. He might show up later on when he's done cleaning his dirt star, but um, right now he is he is preoccupied. So let's get into part two of Ed Kemper. Okay. Before we get into the recap, I want to set the scene. Okay. I, I really want to set the scene. So, Santa Cruz from the early 1970s until 73 was terrorized basically by two serial killers and a mass murderer, turning the beach town into the murder capital murder capital of the world. Uh, the first guy was the hippie extremist John Lindley Frazier, who broke into homes and committed a Manson-style murder of a family of five. Frazier believed God had chosen him to save the environment, and the only way he could do so was to kill a house full of people. Perfect. Yeah, you know, just 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 killing a family of five that that'll save the environment. Then there was Herbert Mullen, who we will definitely cover later, um, who killed thirteen people in order to stop an earthquake. And then we have our boy Ed Kemper, with a death toll of eight. So, it's on top of any other murders that were happening in Santa Cruz at the time. 
Needless to say, this was a killing field for those three years. It was wild California. Yeah, it was wild and wonderful California. It was the wild, wild west. It it really was like to have two serial killers active in the same town at the same time was crazy. And this is like, well, didn't a lot of like these notorious, like all the notorious ones, they kind of like overlapped at some point, didn't they? Yeah. So what you see is a lot of activity out of Cali because that was the center of the hippie movement. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into it later, but talking about the colleges, uh, university in Santa Cruz, uh, it started in like 65 at the height of like the hippie movement. And you have all these people commuting there and it's a transient lifestyle. So, and you see this time and time again with old school serial killer cases these the victims are always living a transient lifestyle so the the cops don't really look for them because they're like ah people run away from home you see it with Dahmer you see it with Gacy you see it time and time again in this era but Kemper really he took it to another fucking level Mm -hmm. do you think that he maybe capitalized on the fact that this was like a very transient Lifestyle that a lot of people that like oh one kids. all these guys capitalized on it. They're all fucking sociopaths. Oh yeah, like they know how to manipulate the system, and that's what they did. Like whether they're self-aware, like Kemper or fucking like I don't know Herbert Mullen, who thinks that an earthquake's gonna happen. And we'll talk more about Herbert Mullen and Ed Kemper's relationship in episode three. Um, because they do in it, they do intermingle at one point. Um, do they become besties? I would say it's more like a Eric to executive producer Salem level of relationship. Like Herbert Mullen became Ed Kemper's like house cat, but like his protege. No, like a fucking house cat. He trained the man to like ask for permission. To do things. So his submissive. Oh, he had like a dominant. Oh, no, no, no. He would reward him for good behavior and then right. throw cups of water at him for bad behavior. So, right. So like a submissive. But yeah. we'll, we'll cover that more in episode three. He's, um, in, he's in, oh my God, he's in the BDSM. No, no, he's not in the BDSM. He's the Christian Grey. Will Kemper killers. was far, well, he was not a BTK. Kemper was the furthest thing from a BTK, as we will find out in this episode. I said Christian Gray of well, she's like she's a B. She Christian said he's a BDSM, and I was like, no, no, not at all. He did the killing first. So without further ado, Sam, (laughs) take it away. So where we left off last week was Ed had killed his grandparents and spent five years in a Tascadero. After being released, the doctors at Atascadero State Hospital advised that Ed not move back in with his mom, Clarnell, recommending that he live at a halfway house. But Ed was sent back to live with his mother in Santa Cruz. She had just moved there after her third failed marriage, which she blamed Ed for, to work as an administrative assistant at the University of California in Santa Cruz. She would say things to Ed like, it's all your fault, Ed. I haven't been, I haven't had sex in five years because of you. 
Well, she'll be having it sooner than later. Uh, foreshadowing for episode three. Sorry. <laughs> we, we've been heavy foreshadowing for episode three. Stick a pin, a penis, something but, in that. Something phallic. Stick something phallic in that. Stick there. something phallic in that. Sorry, I was Perfect. channeling Manson on that one. Uh, I yeah, could tell. Something I, phallic. I, I heard it. It was there's very You love your Charlie voice. I fucking love that man so much. <laughs> Ed eventually moved in with a friend in Alameda. His mother was still very much a nuisance in his life with her calling all the time and stopping by often. Ed desperately wanted to be a cop and even attended community college in hopes of becoming an officer. However, he claimed he was rejected because of his large stature. He'd stood at a whopping six foot nine inches and weighed about 300 pounds. And that is all big man. That's he was a big guy. 69. He didn't know. He was, I don't think he was a fan of that position. No. Well, we'll get more into that later. <laughs> Even though the cops didn't want him, he remained thirsty for the cop life. He reportedly had a relationship with officers in Santa Cruz. He'd hang out at a bar called the Jury Room, a known cop hangout where he would chat with police and live vicariously through them. He was basically a cop groupie. Um, yeah. So he was... He would go to this place, bomb, bomb a beer, and the cops would be like, oh, fuck, it's Big Ed. And... Yeah. Uh, then after about three beers, they'd just be like best fucking friends. Oh, okay, besties. I also enjoy men in uniform, so I relate. Jesus. <laughs> What's interesting about the jury room is later on, he would actually hang out there to try to pump the cops for information on traps and shit. He, he would play like this weird cat and mouse game with them, but... Only he knew he was playing yeah. cat and mouse. <laughs> yeah. He thought the cops were a lot smarter than they fucking were. Because they had no fucking clue what was going on at the time. So he thought he was like, oh, I'm going to figure out what's going on, really. But, yeah. Um, there's tons of stories, though. Uh, I know you have one written down. What At the end? Or where? About the jury room. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you mean to talk about that now? Or yeah, later? yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it right now. Oh, okay. So, they he would, like, like he said, like, play cat and mouse, but he just, he, he found joy out of it. Like, like talking to people that would, that are trying to catch him. Yeah, it, it was like this weird fucked up game. But, um, only he was the, he, only he was the one playing. Yeah, it, it was like, what was it? Infinity Land. Jeffrey Dahmer's favorite game. Oh, no. that That's talking like gas chamber. Um, but what? Oh, yeah. All right. All right. All right. Hold on. What story are you? I'm trying to get you to go into uh, the author. Oh, that's when he. the Yeah, the cop gave him a fucking. Was that at the jury room, though? Yeah, that was at the jury room. Oh, okay. It was in the book. Okay, so join. Yeah. Clap. Jeff, pick up. Where I said, you have an interesting story about him, and then Sam's going to go back into the notes. Now clap. Yeah, so according to Whoever Fights Monsters authors Robert K. Ressler and Tom Schachtman, 
One of the officers gave Ed a cadet badge and handcuffs, and another officer actually let him borrow a gun. What could go wrong? Yeah. It's not like getting your pilot's wings. Nah. No, it's like one of those... Basically, peel and stick badges that they oh give God, like the kids that would like tour. Sheriff sticker. Yeah, it, they give it to kids that tour the courthouse that Where day. Where the fuck is mine? I go to firehouse. I don't even give those bitches out anymore. No, they had the fun little hats though. Yeah, Adam they don't have those. them anymore. No. X A on the firehouse hat A. I'll get you a stripper pole and a fake fireman's hat. <laughs> I got a three alarm fire you can put out. <laughs> that sounds gross. That that would not sound sexy at all. And uh, then like you ate chili and your butthole's on fire. Yeah, uh, I mean that anything's no possible. Stop judging. Tell me about this three alarm fire. It's right in my crotch region. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I had a fire crotch, but I don't have red hair. No. <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Man. You wish it's on me because I'm a ginger. It's okay. We all wish that we could be ginger. We all have I a know. problem, Sam. We all wish that Ed we could have red hair Ed, and have Ed no soul. Kemper can't even talk to a girl without cutting her head off. Foreshadowing. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> the listeners know why they're here. <laughs> Obviously, everyone knows who Ed Kemper is. So Ed eventually landed a job with the Department of Transportation in 1971. He was also engaged to a 16-year-old high school student. I tried to find more info on this because it was just like a blurb. It was like, oh, yeah, and he's also got engaged to a 16-year-old. What the fuck? When I read this in the notes... I was like, this has to be fucking bullshit. But no, he actually said he was engaged at the time in an interview. Yeah. And I was like, all right, then. I and that's it. He was engaged. Was he was fucking engaged up until, I want to say, the second murder. And that was all I or could find. Thir- excuse me. His third victim after his release from Atascadero. That's all I could find. It yeah. was just that... It was nothing more than, up. Oh, he was engaged to a 16-year-old high school student. I'm sorry. We ain't going to speed past. I'm like, you ain't just said what you just said. Hold on. Yeah. Well, different this times. This ain't that. Different times. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. This ain't that. This mm-hmm. ain't that. Different times. Still. How old was he at this time? Someone out there. He was old? like 22, probably around this time. To a 16-year-old? Different yeah. times. High school. High school. High school age. Well, you got to remember, he went to jail... At the age of 15. That don't mean shit. No, no, listen. He went to jail at the age of 15. He has no social skills past the age of 15. Because he spent the last five fucking years in a goddamn mental institution around rapists and murderers. If that's his he doesn't know how to anybody. talk to women, except if, for 16-year-olds. Uh, and I don't think he talked to them very well either. And you got to remember, this was 70 one, one probably yeah it, they always mention the engagement after he gets his job at the department of yeah. transportation so i'm assuming that it's around that time 
But some articles like to hop, skip, and jump all the fuck around. Yeah. I don't appreciate Well, that's that. also Kemper, too, because you have to suss out his bullshit, as we will hear. Yeah. In, I'm going to play two different interviews back-to-back, depicting his first kills. Ooh. Yes. Around the same time that Ed got his job with the DOT... Now, remember, he wanted to be a cop, but specifically a California Highway Patrol or a chip. He wanted to be Eric Estrada. <laughs> Who the fuck is that? The, you've ever seen the show Chips? No. It was a fucking suit. Oh, God damn it. I watched too much me TV with my dad when he was alive. Um, Chips, was, Chips and Dragnet were his two favorite fucking shows. I've never heard of that show. Uh, Chip... Chips is like a show about motorcycle cops in California. Never heard of it. It it was good. It was very good. So you wanted to be a chip, a chippy. You just can't have, you can't have just one. It's not fucking Pringles, (laughs) Sam. Jesus Christ. I feel the same way about Chorizo. But that is also how you felt about co-eds. Once you pop, (laughs) you just can't stop. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh no! Oh no! There's a lot of foreshadowing going on. Well, we remember what he said about popping the heads off of dolls last episode. Did he gave get... him a sexual thrill. Yeah. Once you pop, you just can't stop. Oh fucking a! Anyway, so he went and goes out and bought. He, I can't even talk now. Fuck you, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> he went out and bought a motorcycle, and he wrecked it. Then he went out and bought another motorcycle. But this time, the wreck wasn't his fault. He was hit by a car. His arm was badly injured, and he ended up getting $15,000 from his civil suit against the driver. He used part of his settlement to purchase the infamous 1969 Ford Galaxy. His injury rendered him unable to work, so Ed turned his mind toward other interests. I mean... Fifteen grand doesn't dun, dun, sound dun. like a lot nowadays. What does that convert to now? Fifteen thousand nowadays is probably closer to like fifty. No, not that much, but probably around like forty. I'd say like thirty-five. That's still a decent amount of money. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he did buy a car outright, you know, whatever. But I mean, he's good. I mean. For a minute, I know he can't work, but you get He's a decent got- settlement from that. Mm-hmm. That wasn't enough. Couldn't find some nice girl to settle down with. He I had mean, one. I guess he had, a fi- is- he had a fucking fiance. He still has one. I don't know. I don't know when. I don't know when they ended. I don't know who she was, but somewhere out there, someone can say they probably went out loud. But she was engaged to Ed Kemper. At one point in time. It would be really yes. awesome to find the person who was actually engaged to them. Right. Sam's over here to be a fly on the wall. Anyway, he noticed a lot of young women hitchhiking in the area, which I think we all know where where this is headed, obviously. Downhill. Well, Fast. So, not really. What's crazy no, is... No, not really. Like, the... Well, we'll get into it in a minute, but the volume of hitchhikers he picked up where nothing happened. Yeah, it was it was a lot. He, I mean, in one interview, he estimated over 200 people. And he wasn't just picking up women at first. 
Like he would run these, these drills, like these trials where he'd start picking people up and, and all this was to get, like he says in an interview, this was all to just learn how to socialize Mm -hmm. because he'd been fucking locked up for his formative years. Like the guy really had no social skills. Imagine if he'd become a gentle giant. Well, where would we be now? That's the persona. That's actually the persona he called, like what he called his persona is he was picking up hitchhikers. Yeah. Despite the early 1970s being at the height of the American hitchhiking craze, most of those hitchhiking rides still would have been selective about who they got into a car with, especially women, and Ed knew that. Which is why he devised a clever and cruel trick to make unsuspecting women drop their guard around him when they should have run for their lives instead. Though Kemper's trick was original, he was just one of many serial killers who manipulated the feelings of others to satisfy nefarious needs. Kemper's ruse was deceptively simple. When he'd pull over to pick up a hitchhiking woman, if he saw that she seemed wary of jumping into his car, he'd put the pressure back on her, saying, quote, Girls weren't really convinced, he explained. So I looked at my watch and I sighed like, come on, I don't have time. And that convinced them. They had the impression I was in a hurry and didn't have time to hurt them. End quote. Ed outfits his new car with all of the things that he thought he'd need to fulfill his dark desires that had reared their ugly head once again. His supplies included a gun, knife, and handcuffs. He claimed that he picked up and dropped off more than 150 women during this time and didn't kill anyone until his dark and twisty sexual urges took over. This part is so fucking gross. I know, I got the the ick when I was typing this out. Ed calls his urges, quote, these are not my words, little zapples, end quote. He'd be like, so I had this broad in my car and I'd get my little zapples. And uh, then I knew that was the one. Ick. If you didn't just get the ick, you're probably a serial killer too. Ew. Little zapples. All the silence in the room. Which he soon gave into said little zapples. He said in an interview, quote, at first I picked up girls just to talk to them, just to try and get acquainted with people my own age and try to strike up a friendship. Just wanted some friends. Well, what's crazy is his trial runs. So he would do these like weird trial runs where he would take like a, in the Ford galaxy, he would take like a tube of chapstick and because he had such long reach because he was a fucking giant, he's almost seven feet tall. He would drop a tube of chapstick behind the door handle and then they couldn't get out. They couldn't like pull the the lever to get out because the tube of chapstick was blocking it. So it would basically trap them in the car with him. And then he'd be like, Oh, I'll get the door for you. And then let him out. And he'd palm the tube of chapstick again. So he so would he'd put it like on would, the outside he, door. No, he would do it on the inside. So you, it would like lock the door in place. So they couldn't pull like the mechanism to unlock the door. Uh-huh. When you open the door from the it inside, wouldn't engage. it wouldn't engage. 
So he would run these like crazy fucking trial runs where he'd just be like, have somebody in the car, drop it in there. And it was all methodical. It was, he rehearsed it. He knew what was going to happen eventually. And unfortunately for the next two people he picked up, it happened. On May 7th, 1972, he picked up two Fresno State students, 18-year-old Mary Ann Pesci. Is that Pesci? Yep. Cool. Kind of like Joe Pesci. And 18-year-old Anita Lucesa near Berkeley, California. They were trying to get to Stanford University, which was a, a little over an hour from Santa Cruz, but they would never make it to their destination. After driving around for an hour, he stopped the car in a secluded area. Ed handcuffed Mary Ann and told Anita that she was going to that she was going into the trunk of the car. Ed later confessed that while handcuffing Mary Ann, he quote brushed the back of his hand against one of her breasts and it embarrassed him. Adding that he said, whoops, I'm sorry, or something like that, after grazing her breast, despite murdering her minutes later. So I guess what above a, all that, he's a gentleman. Yeah, well, he's the hero of his own story. What a fucking loser, though. Oops, I'm sorry. Like, I never assaulted her till after I killed her. Well, I guess she doesn't, well... I guess you have to live through that. I don't know. I don't know. He's like the weirdest, most fucked up incel ever, dude. Um, It's, I don't know. I don't even under, he's like an enigma. He, it's like, he won't really hurt them while they're alive. He doesn't have a true personality in there. It's all. He's a sociopath. Yeah. Everything is staged and rehearsed and you'll find this out later on, but. It's it's fucked. It's insane. When he returned to Marianne, he violently stabbed her before strangling her to death. He then went to the trunk of the car where Anita was held captive. He told Anita that he had broken Marianne's nose and that she should go check on her friend. But as Anita tried to get up, Ed reached past her, grabbed a knife from the trunk, and began to attack her. Anita fought hard for her life and Ed attempted to slash her throat. Her arms were slashed to the bone, and she screamed so loudly that Ed got scared. Eventually, Anita succumbed to her injuries, and after putting Mary Ann into the trunk. All right, so what I'm about to play for you guys is two clips from two different Ed Kemper interviews referring to this murder. That horrified me. I did everything stupid, everything wrong if I were trying to get away with it. It was just really, really dumb. The knife I fell back on, that was a fallback position. I was trying to smother her. That didn't work. And she was struggling against that and arguing with me about it. And uh, uh, I got frustrated and I reached in my pocket. I had that folding knife and I pulled it out. And for a lot of years, and I, I, I made a point of saying back then with the investigators, when I pulled the knife out and locked it in a place that clicked, and she said, what's that? That's a quote. What's that? And she was kind of like a yeah, yeah, naggy kind of thing. What's that? And I couldn't figure out why she said that. Like, it's not that big an impact, a little clicking sound behind her, you know, amongst what's going on. And it hadn't been murderous up to that point. It had been an aggravation, and I, was, I had her tied up or handcuffed. And uh, uh, it took me years to, for it to dawn on me, trying to look at it from different points of view to understand these things. 
why she said that. You know why she said that? Because I had brandished this gun and I had cocked it once and it clicked. So in her mind, very possibly, I had pulled the gun out and was going to shoot her. So she said, what's that? And thinking I've pulled the gun out now and I'm cocking it. Not realizing I'd pulled a knife out. I still had the gun in my pants. I stabbed her. She didn't fall dead. You're supposed to fall dead. You're supposed to go, oh, and fall dead. I've seen it in all the movies, right? Doesn't work that way. When you stab someone, they leak to death. They lose blood pressure and you stab them more and more and more. You complicate it many times by where you're hitting, the pain you're causing, and the aggravation of the person involved, plus whether or not they leak a little faster. It wasn't working worth the damn. I stabbed her all over her back, and, and she even turned around. I stabbed her in the side and the stomach once. Why? As she turned around, I could have stabbed her through the heart. But her breasts were there. And it actually deflected me. I couldn't see stabbing a young woman in her breast. That's embarrassing. I didn't say that to them back then. I don't think I may have. But that's humiliating to admit that, that I was that affected by her presence. I stabbed her in the belly. That had to hurt worse. I didn't do it to make it hurt. I was trying to shut her up. And she ended up getting her thro throat cut. And uh, I learned the term ear to ear, what that meant because that's the way it went. And uh, she went out of it completely right then. She lost consciousness and uh, died probably just moments after that. But I just backed up out of the car. My hands are covered in blood. And I'm saying, oh, God, I did it. I did it. I don't believe it. I did it. Shit, I've done it. Now i got to kill the other one. So that was Ed's experience with his first victim. Of that was Mary Ann. Yeah, that was very Mary Ann. So now let's listen to what Ed has to say about killing Anita. Anita. I just gone through a horrible experience with her roommate stabbing her. And I was in shock because of that. I couldn't believe that it was that way. And I'm walking back there bewildered. I got to kill her. I can't let her go. She's going to tell on me. Everybody's going to get me. She sees the blood on my hands. What are you doing? she pulled back and she gasped and I think whoa I don't want her to know what happened I said your friend got smart with me she'd been getting really smart with me a lot but I never hit her I killed her but I didn't hit her I said your friend got smart with me and I hit her I think I broke her nose you better come help she's about to die why don't why does she have to know that I couldn't deal with telling her that and when I attacked her, she didn't at first realize what was happening. It didn't go through. She had very heavy coveralls on. It knocked her right up into the lid of the car, but it didn't pierce the clothing. So it wasn't that swell a knife anyway. I went out and bought a, a pawn shop huge knife. And uh, I kept on just mindlessly attacking. She falls back into the trunk. I just killed a young woman. I slammed down the lid of the trunk. She isn't dead, she's dying. And I panicked. I thought, I just locked the car keys in it because I can't find them in my pocket. Oh my God, I locked them in the trunk. I'm kicking on the trunk lid and yanking on it. Oh no, I don't believe this. I started to run and I tripped over the gun that I'd had in my pants that I had totally forgotten was there. I stopped, I said, stop and think. I collected my wits. Check all your pockets. I picked the gun up. I stuck it back in my pants, now remembering I had one. 
I checked all my pockets, and there's the keys in the back pocket. I never put them in my back pocket. Everyone makes mistakes. Yeah. So his first kill was his first two kills were very fucking sloppy. Yeah. <clears throat> um The fact that he thought he locked the keys in the trunk is almost fucking hilarious. I know. Like <sighs> then he trips over the gun that's in his pants. It's just, a, it was a complete shit show. He's so uncoordinated. Unorganized. He panicked. He forgot I mean, he even had that. the gun. He stabbed these girls to death. The fact that he stabbed uh, Anita with so much force that it launched her into the, the hood of the trunk and didn't pierce her clothes is a testament to how shitty a how shitty that knife is and b how much force he stabbed her with he's gonna make her a human shish kebab yeah i mean i can't believe the knife didn't break through her coveralls i want those coveralls i'm gonna find out what kind she was wearing and i'm gonna buy that's all i'm thinking about what fucking coveralls was she wearing were they levi's i bet they were levi's probably and it's going to get, all right, so for our listeners, from this point on, it's about to get real fucked up. Yeah. Disclaimer. This is a disclaimer. If you get triggered by severe sexual violence, here's your warning. Just skip over these next two episodes. You have been warned. This is probably one of my favorite, like, not really like a story, but like, I guess, part of Ed Kemper's reign of terror. Is it a tidbit? Yeah. Oh, no, it's not a fun fact. It's not a fun fact. Um, I don't think I have any fun facts this episode. No. <gasps> I got the I got the fun fact this episode. What fun fact did you get? The Santa Cruz being the murder capital of the world. Oh, well, I guess that is a fun fact. So, on his way home, so he's got these two bodies in the trunk, right? He's mm -hmm. on his way home back to Alameda. And, whoop, whoop, he gets pulled over. So, Who I bet. Who would have thought? I bet he is just shitting. And the cop's like, oh, you have a broken taillight. Doesn't even. I mean, I guess he wouldn't really have to search the car over a broken taillight necess necessarily but what i mean I, I forget what time of day this was was it a night it has to be at night yeah i believe it was um because he's got he said it himself in the interview he's got blood all over him yeah he's covered so was he just murdered two girls so the cop just like go with his fucking eyes closed well that cop not searching Kemper's car saved his fucking life because Kemper says in an inter uh, another interview that he was fully prepared to kill that guy. Yeah. But could you like imagine like being the cop that pulled over Ed Kemper? I mean, before he guess I, before I guess he was like Ed Kemper, 
But you pulled over Ed Kemper for a fucking broken taillight and he had two bodies in the very trunk where the taillight is. I don't, I still can't imagine him being like, oh, fuck. I'll let that man go. I'll let him go. No, let him go. The one that got away. He is the one that the got away. The great white whale. Both sides. He's like. He's a, he's a. Uh, Ahab. Nah, right? he's uh, Moby Dick. The great white whale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ed Kemper is. Him's big guy. Big guy. Back in the safety of his house, Ed photographed the girls' bodies before having sex with their corpses and dismembering them. He placed their body parts in a tra- in plastic bags and dumped them near the Loma Prieta? Prieta? Well, Prieta? sure, that works. I don't know. Anyway... Mountains in some kind, some mountain fucking range. He, he basically threw the bodies in a ravine. Yeah, a ravine. I was just Which trying to be geographically. Correct. You will see time and time again. Oh yeah, he's not the first or the last to throw body parts in a ravine. Before disposing of Mary Ann and Anita's severed heads into the ravine, Ed engaged in oral copulation with both of their heads. That's the nicest way you could put skull fucking. Thank you. No problem. Good job, Mary. <laughs> A plus. You get a gold star. You get a golden tombstone for that one. Oh, the golden tombstone. You do. You get a golden tombstone. I like that. You like that? Look at you excited. We need to put chart. that on a t shirt. We need to fucking chart. Tombstone. Yeah, you get a golden tombstone. Mm. You're a good boy. I dig it. Soon after the girls disappeared, their families reported them missing, but no one would know the girls' fate until August 15th of 2017 when a woman's skull was found in the woods near Santa Cruz and was later determined it was Mary Ann's. Anita's remains have never been found. I mean, Ed confessed to it, so they knew the girl's fate, but oh, yeah, they but never had a body for the no. the proof. And only finding Marianne's skull, 2017s, that's what, like I think four, they found, 50 years? I think they found the bodies, but they could never find the skull. Um, it was the other way around. They found the skull, but never found the body. Okay. Never mind. Because, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of a different one. Never, oh, yeah. Dental mind. Records. Yeah. Ed knew very well about dental records. He's like, the head and the hands. That's what's going to identify he, him. Yeah. He was so far forensically uh, advanced. I mean, his IQ is like 145. So that is anyway. Well, that and he grew up in the system. At this point, he knew mm-hmm. he knew how to play the game. He took notes from rapists and sex offenders and, and murders. They yeah. taught him well. They, they all be- get- they did. This is a man who basically was doomed from the start to be a serial killer. He went to school for it. Literally. Yeah. And he got all A's. And this is he also he also uh, cannibalized. I believe these two, uh, he cut meat from the thighs of these two girls and used it to make a casserole. But 
he said it wasn't his real, really his thing. He's like, eh, I did it, but eh, it wasn't my thing. It, he wasn't like a Dahmer type where uh, that was like, I want to keep them with me. It was like, yeah, I tried it because I'm a fucking sicko, but yeah, I didn't really like it. Yeah. The fact that he made a casserole, though, that's a very Midwest thing to do. That is a very Midwest thing. Was there rice in there? Uh, I think it was like a mac and cheese casserole. Uh (laughs) I remember hearing that somewhere. (laughs) Do not desecrate mac and cheese like that. He probably bought Hamburger Helper, and instead of the hamburger, he used like lady thigh meat. The other white meat. Mm. There's a lot of white meat going into this. I would not want to go to Ed Kemper's potluck. Let's just put it that way. No. Like, y'all want to try some of this mac and cheese? Nope. And the bad part is, my white ass would be like, yeah, I want some mac and cheese. No. There's a lady in there. I fucking love mac and cheese. That's why I'll never have abs. Mm. Mac and cheese. We're all cursed with that problem. Mm Mm-hmm. On September 14th, 1972, Ed picked up 15-year-old dance student named Aiko Koo, who had decided to hitchhike to dance class after missing her bus. After driving Aiko to a remote area, he pulled a gun on her before tying her up and instructing her to get into the back seat. Ed exited the car and went to the passenger door before realizing he had locked himself out of the vehicle. This is the most tragic story of all of them yeah. for for uh, the victim here. The fact that he, because remember, he fucked up real bad in that first one. Oh, yeah. He was all over the place. Like the fact that he thought he locked his keys in the trunk and he was getting ready to like flee the scene on foot. And he's like, it's fucking over. And then he trips over the gun and has a moment of clarity. Then this poor girl, he locks his fucking keys in his car. And she lets him back in. Yep. Like, she could have drove off. She, The gun was still in the fucking car. And yep. she could have shot him. And she didn't. She let him back in. It's just, it's just honestly mind blowing and tragic and depressing. I just want to know, like, I mean, he did say he drove off to a secluded area, mm-hmm. so I guess she couldn't really be like banging on the windows, being like, "Help me, help me," because no, there's no the, one around. The keys were in the fucking car. Yeah, but she's well, no, she's 15, so she probably could know. She probably didn't know how to drive. Who gives a shit? You have a guy threatening to fucking kill you. He pulled a gun on her already, and she freaked the fuck out. Yeah. So he's already used the gun. By the rule of uh, plays, if you use, if you show the gun in Act One, you got to use it by Act Three. You know. Golden Tombstone. I don't waste time. I'm pulling. I'm shooting. The rule of theater. Theater. The theater. Once he was back in the car, he chokes her unconscious before assaulting and killing her. I bet she was really upset with herself about letting him back in the car. What could he have? I just want to know what he could have possibly said to be like, oh, everything's fine. I, I think he just said, let me in. Could you let me in? And I think she did it. Thinking that he would like not kill her and i have three life rules courtesy of ashley flowers 
Be weird, be rude, stay alive. No. Fuck you, I'm out. What about the fourth rule? It's never a mannequin. Stay creepy. That's true. Yeah. That's That's our rule. That is our rule. It is our rule. That's our rule number one. That's like our only rule. Stay creepy. Mm -hmm. I mean, what other one could you have? No, there's really not. Don't eat. But let's get it. Don't eat from roadside stands. Yeah, that's another one. And don't don't eat casseroles from Midwesterners. Don't don't eat casseroles from Ed Kemper. Yeah. Or anything from Jeffrey Dahmer or Mm. Joe Metheny. Yeah. Mm. Gross. Some good callbacks. (laughs) All right, let's continue. So he stores Ico's body in the trunk of his car before going to a nearby bar. While there, he reportedly went out to the car, took a look at Ico in the trunk, quote, admiring his catch like a fisherman. Once he was back home, he repeated what he had done with Anita and Marianne. The oral, the oral copulation. Yeah, he uh, cut her head off, got rid of the body, had sex with it for a few days, and uh, he kept the head for quite a while. Let's take a note right of Jeffrey Dahmer's book. There, going back to the last two murders, though, there is a funny story. Uh, I, I forgot about it until now. Because Ed Dahmer's a little bit, or uh, Ed Dahmer. <laughs> Fuck what kind me. of hybrid fuckery uh, the are you can, making? The cannibalism. Now, Ed Kemper's kind of a comedian where he, he has these bits that he likes to do. And one of them is about cutting the heads off of the of Anita and Marianne Marianne and he's like one of the heads became disheveled and rolled onto the floor and he goes and I know my downstairs neighbor hates me because at this time he's still in the apartment Mm -hmm. and uh, the neighbor like complained to him he's like I'm sorry I dropped my head and he goes that really brought me out of the depression Let's drop my head. And then we're like, oh, sorry, how are you, wacky head. old Ed? Oh, you're so silly. You're so funny. I can't. What a jokester. He, he's definitely, but there's like one instance of a guy interrupting one of his stories. He's like, hold on, hold on. You're going to ruin the bit. Kemper's a showman. He really is. Like, he, he, he gets it. He really gets it. You know? <laughs> the girls that get it, get it. Yeah, so <laughs> the serial killers that get it get it. He he's all about the theater, the theater, the showmanship of it all. <laughs> Shockingly, Ed was still on probation at this time for the murder of his grandparents. So he's just killing them while still doing technically doing time for the other. It's the 70s. It's free thinking. So free killing. He actually free s- killing. Yeah, it really is free real estate. Um, <laughs> he went to one of his psych meetings with the head of Ico Koo in his fucking bag. Her head, her severed head, was in a fucking bag, like a bag, a luggage bag that he had in his car. And he's just going to his court-ordered psychology yeah. meetings like, yep, yes. everything's fine. Yeah. I'm great. I'm what, doing cross-stitch. What could go wrong? 
And meanwhile, the psychiatrists are just loving every second. Oh, yeah, they are eating it like Because he knows how he knows. (laughs) Don't know if I'd go that far. But uh, he knows how to manipulate these people. Oh, yeah. He worked for them. He's a Tascadero. He is a success story. But is he? Is He's he a real a go-getter. Story? He, he is. He is a go-getter. He he did he did oh. actually get <laughs> he got the trophy. He he killed the one person that we'll cover later that he wanted to kill. Foreshadowing for episode three. There's lots of foreshadowing. Everybody's gonna be so excited. <laughs> Fuck, I mean, we well, are so excited. So Ed was on probation until November 29th. 1972 just short of three years when his psychiatrist believed him to be rehabilitated and at this point his juvenile records were permanently expunged his last report from his probation psychiatrists read quote if i were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him I would think that we were dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychiatric illnesses, and I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be of any danger to himself or any member of society. End quote. Little did he fucking know. Did that man lose his doctorate? I fucking hope so. Yeah, I really think uh, psychiatrists need to be, like, (laughs) reevaluated. For, like, what they're capable of recommending. Mm, yeah. Because this dude literally has a head in his car. And he's like, yep, everything's great. Yeah. Oh, I'm well adjusted. I got a job. I'm, I'm getting shit done. I'm getting laid. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. He just didn't say how he was getting laid. He did not. I mean, if I had a nice job and I mean, I do have a nice job. I have a great job. And I get laid. So I'm doing fucking fantastic. Exactly. But you do not have a severed head. I do not. You're not carrying it around. You're not carrying your your doll. Like, because that's how it referred to some of these girls is he'd turn them into his dolls is what he said. So he would pop the heads off and because he's like, they're much more manageable then. And that that's like something he said in an interview. But that's where we're going to end it for this week, guys. Um, is Ed getting off of probation? I don't know. So we covered his first three mm-hmm. murders back in the game. He He's kind of like uh, Michael Jordan on this shit, you know? Back in the game. He's, he, you know, he went away a little bit, played baseball with the cops. Now he's back playing basketball again. And at 6'9", was- he can play basketball. He do know. just like, bloop, but just drop it in. I need him to dribbling like severed heads down the court. That's all I need to see. That's all I thought of. <laughs> He's just like palming. Yeah. How big? I just want to know how big his hands are. At least be able to cover somebody's face. Uh, there was an interview he did after he got caught with um, the guy who was the basis for Mindhunter where the dude got... I can't remember his name, but he got a little antsy and hit the button for the guards. He's like, you know, I could just tear your head off before the guards get here. And they that was in Mindhunter. Yeah, I love that show. Fuck you, Netflix, for canceling it. It's it's such a shame. But I never uh, found out who the who the guy was. 
Yeah. The the guy. Have you seen Mindhunter? I'm not current with it. I oh, there's no it's more been, episodes. It's it's, it's canceled. Been a long time. I, I watched like the first season. Oh, it's been a long time. I need to get caught up. But there's uh, no point. There's no more episodes coming out. Well, still, I'm gonna Netflix. I'm gonna watch it. We can find something to watch on. Speaking of which, watching things, listening to things. Liking things. And liking things. Is it time? It is time. It is time for you to shine, Christian. I'm ready to earn my golden tombstone. (laughs) Do it. We want to thank you guys so much for an awesome month of July. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Thank you so much for the love. Yes. The the creepy love. We appreciate it so, so much. We are at the past the halfway point for spooky. We are in the final leg. Of sla- Summer of Slaughter. Yeah, right. we're, we we're like almost done. Three episodes left? Yeah, there's three episodes left after this one. And it's only going to wow. get wilder from here. And we're only in part September two of this. September 2nd, we got spooky season. Woo! Time to shine. If y'all yes. could see the podcast. Actually, if y'all could see our house right now, you it would know that it's spooky time. Go I on. will be unveiling the podcast room once it's finished after our remodel. I alluded to it on our Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. I will be unveiling it on the episode drop date. Um, prob- I haven't picked a time yet, but it's probably going to be 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. So I will go live and give you guys a tour of the podcast room Ooh. on September 2nd. I cannot wait. Bob is shaking with excitement. Bob the zombie is shaking with excitement. Um, Mortimer doesn't care. Mortimer's chilling. And if yeah. y'all don't know who these names are, you're about to find out who these we, people well, are. Well, they know Bob the zombie. They don't know who Mortimer is. There are spooky boys. Morty is just chilling and loving and vibing. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. We just want to thank you guys. We can't wait to show you how we're moving forward and actually growing as a podcast. We can't do that without you guys. So please make sure you guys are subscribing, liking, and sharing the show. Um, you can find everything that we podcast on, share on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Twitter, all the things, all the socials. Uh, Sam over here posting on the TikToks. Appreciate her. We love her. Love her. She gets a golden tombstone. I get a golden tombstone. That's going to be a shirt. <laughs> the golden tombstone. Eric yeah. is over here vibing with it with me. Yes. Uh, Thank you, guys. And always stay creepy. uh, Yeah, stay creepy. We'll see you next Friday. Bye. Bye.